that's the first, is that the first Sunday that it played? That was the second? Oh, I'm, I'm, I must have been uh, not paying attention, forgive me. Shame on me. <laughs> um, let's pray, let's pray. Worship was good, worship was good. Lord, we thank you, Father, um, that you are a God that sees us. Lord, you're a faithful God that sees us. And as we journey through Luke, Lord, I ask that you would unpack what that means, that you're a faithful God that sees your children, that you would bring those, those, those truths to light, that they would jump from the pages and travel with us throughout our lives, that we would have, as Muji said last week, the confidence to wrestle well, knowing that this life is not without struggle, that this life is not without pain or suffering, but Lord, because of who you are, because you are faithful, and because you are a God that fulfills his promises, we can wrestle well. We can sleep with peace in our hearts and in our minds. So Lord, here we are with your word as we travel through Luke, Father, Lord, me before your people, God, the confidence and the knowing that it is not within my strength that your word is sent forth, but it's by your spirit and your spirit alone, God. So guide my words, guide my heart, my mind, my thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I'm excited to be here, church, to be able to um, journey with you guys through the book of Luke for the foreseeable future. Um, I don't know if it's like a year or two years that we're gonna be going through this, uh, but Muchi highlighted that in detail last week. Um, and right now where we are is in phase one of the book of Luke. And the going theme is the God who fulfills his promise. Um, because I am going to be reading about 20 verses, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read through it first and then I'll, I'll go through it bit by bit. But there's something that, that Muchi spoke um, last week during his sermon that I, I want to reiterate because I want us to be in, as intentional as possible collectively as the Brook Church here in the city of Miami. Um, and here's what he said last week. He said, may Luke's gospel move us to tremendous action in our lives and in our cities forevermore. That it would be the music that would allow us to step more deeply and excellently into who God has called us to be. And may that be pressed upon our hearts and our minds as we travel through um, the book of Luke. So let us read once again, starting at uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside the hour of incense." And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled. He, 
when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb. And he will turn, and he will turn many of the children of the Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things have taken place because you did not believe the words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time ended in the service, and when, the service, when his service ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when, I, when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Ooh, that's a lot of verses. But this is the word of the Lord. So I wanted to bring some context because I know for me reading through the book of Luke, it, it, there's this gap between Malachi and um, where we are today traveling through. So I, I feel like it's going to be helpful to bring everyone up to speed um, and really try to bring some context to what happened between that quote unquote gap that we see in God's word between Malachi and um, the New Testament where we are. So I wanted to kick us off with, I think, a worthy verse um, uh, the a book of prophecy, the book of Malachi, in verse uh, chapter four, verse one through two, it says, "For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze," says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. So we know that the Old Testament ends with a book of prophecy and it's comprised of a, se a series of questions and answers. And it's Malachi prophesying and speaking the disobedience of, of the Israelites, the consistent disobedience of the Israelites, but, but, but also speaking into existence the, 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 the promise that they will be saved. That God will one day save them in their unfaithfulness, God would save them um, that promise of salvation. But if you rewind just a little bit, about 100 years prior to that, we have the book of Daniel, where we see Daniel has a series of dreams and visions, chapter 2, 7, 8, and 11. Um, but particularly in chapter 2, the king of Babylon has this vision that no one can interpret. And, and it's, a, it's a, 
just to make it short, it's a vision where he sees this statue, right? And Daniel's the only one that can interpret this um, vision. And what Daniel hears from the Lord as he interprets this vision is that the head of this statue represents the Babylonian empire and the rule of the Babylonian empire. The arms and the chest of this statue represents the takeover of the Medes and Persians and a season in which they will rule. The thighs and the waist represents the, the end of the Medes and the Persian Empire and the beginning of the Greek Empire and a time that they will take over and rule for a season. And then you have the legs of this statue that represents the Roman Empire, which is kind of where we see ourselves right now in the book of Luke. Um, and the feet represents the fall of Rome. Now what's interesting is throughout this entire, even though it's, it's not written in, in exact detail, throughout the 400 years of silence where no prophet spoke, that's exactly what we see happen and unfold in history. We can go back into history and we can see this happening. We can see the rule of the Babylonian Empire. We can see the rule of the Medes and the Persians. We can see the, the rule of the, the, the Greek Empire. And we can see the, Roman, uh, the rule of the Roman Empire and its fall. Now, this silent period wasn't a, a, a testing, if you will, of God, where it's like, I'm going to be silent for 400 years and see which of my people can be the most faithful throughout this time. This was a response to, to, to the Israelites' disobedience. And we know this through scripture. We know this, we have Jeremiah who prophesies in their disobedience that there will be 70 years of, of, of exile where they'll be taken from their land and be under the control and the rule of a wicked king and their ways for 70 years. Daniel realizes that they're coming up to this 70 year mark. So he begins to fast, pray and intercede for, for multiple reasons. One of them being that he realizes that the people of Israel are still embedded in the Babylonian world. They're not showing this thirst for God. They're not showing that they wanna be taken back to their homeland so that they can worship the one true God. They have found themselves finding comfort, if you will, in this wicked way of leaving, living, I should say. We see here in Jer Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14, it says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Verse 13 is important. It says, you will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all of your heart, and when, and when yeah, when you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you to exile, into exile. That was the expectation. The expectation was that by the time that 70 year mark happens of being in exile, the people will then have a thirst for God. The people will desire to be reunited with their faithful God, the same God that delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians and delivered them to the promised land, that they would then thirst after that God and realize that the life that I've been living, this world that I've been un under the subjection of this wicked king and their wicked rules is no longer what I want, but I pursue you, God. That is not what happened. So therefore, Gabriel comes to Daniel and responds to his earnest prayer, his fasting, and says that because of the disobedience, it will be 70 times seven years that they will be, be in, in captivity under bondage, okay? And that is where we are today. We arrive at Luke 1, 5 through 25. I'm reading from the ESV version. 
400 years of silence, guys. 400 years of not hearing from God through a prophet. The United States has been deemed the United States for around 245 years. 245 years. So they were in silence almost double that amount of time. Just imagine living as, as, as a believer of God for all of this time. All of this time not comfortable in this foreign land, being taken from land to land, from ruler to ruler, from one way to a new way. And none of these ways are the ways in which God groomed you to live in. It's got to be, I mean, it's got to be uncomfortable. When God? That question must have come up so much. When God? Generation after generation after generation. Let's read. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all commandments and statutes of the Lord. But, he had, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So we have the, the scene really just opening with this emphasis and this zoomed-in focus on what seems to be this random couple, um, Zachariah and Elizabeth, but in the, this background scene where we have the quote-unquote king of the Jews, king of, of Judea, um, Herod. Now, we know because of the stories, the popular stories, Herod was a brutal, ambitious, murderous individual. Now, there were some great things that, that Herod did, um, but it, it was never short from him trying to get some type of advantage one of those things being the fact that he restored the temple of Solomon. But his intention in that was really to gain more control of the high priestly families, right? And to keep order because he was a vassal king of the Roman Empire. And the Romans did not tolerate or put up with any type of uprising. So his job, if he wanted to stay in power, was to keep things in check, right? But him, you know, his first wife, he exiled his first wife and his first son because he had trust issues. He murdered his next wife. He murdered family members. The moment he got into power, anyone that at any point was, was, was opposed to him being in power, he sought them out and he killed them. Because he had this massive, massive insecurity and, and these massive trust issues and, and this massive desire to rule and to be under absolute control. And we know that as time went on, these things began to just, his ways began to pick him apart. He had a, 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 a absolutely horrible death. But this is the setting in which you have Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth. Under this king, once again, yes, they are no longer in exile, but still you have this gray cloud that is over the, the, um, the Jew's head, being led by a king like, like this, of this nature. So scripture highlights this, this, this type of blamelessness and, and righteousness that, that it shows up in the life of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this, th these words, these terminologies with, the, with the, the true meanings of them aren't used for many people in God's word. You don't hear God's word talking this way about um, a lot of people in, in the Bible. Specifically in the Old Testament, the word righteousness that's translated in the Greek, it, it doesn't, it's just not they did the right things or they, 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 they were morally upright. It, it points to the fact that they had a right relationship 
with God. So, so, so they were more than legalistic followers of, of the God that they serve. They were in pursuit of an authentic right relationship with their God. But they had this disdain, if you will, this what maybe felt like a shortcoming or an impurity. They couldn't bear children. Now, in today's world, we don't want to confuse with the way we see it now and the way that it was looked at back then. Today, we, 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 you know, we find out that someone can't have kids and immediately we move to compassion. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm praying for you. Is there any way I can be there for you? What, what are the options that you guys are taking to try to have children? You know, it's, 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 a, different, it's a different lens that we look through. Back then, it was very differently. We have Genesis 128, Genesis chapter 8, where God mandates that we, you know, we, we, we go and we be fruitful and we multiply. It's a blessing, not that we don't see the blessing today, but it's a blessing that God has opened up our, you know, the, the, the womb of, of, of the wife to have children and, and, and multiply. But then if the opposite is happening, it's seen as almost this punishment that God closed your womb. You must have done something wrong. You must have had some type of hidden sin, the fact that God has not allowed you to have children. So just imagine, imagine these, this, this couple, you know, living their entire lives, right, with this, this like, man, when are we going to have kids? Like, God, what's, is this something that I do wrong? And as time goes on, they're around their priestly families, and this priest and his wife is talking about their 15 children, right? And, and, and my son is going on to do this, and my daughter's going on to do that. And it, 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 it's an immediate reminder of the inadequacy that they have, right? Muchi was preaching last week about the, 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 the different types of, of poverty that exist, and one of them being socially disadvantaged, right? And here you have two priests that are living faithfully unto the Lord, but they are put in this socially disadvantaged sphere, if you will, feeling less than, Barren written on their foreheads wherever they go. Let's continue. Ah, let me hit this point really quick. One thing I wanted to highlight, and I wrote this down. Uh, Zachariah married Elizabeth. Elizabeth, so, so one, of the, one of the qualifications of, of a priest marrying um, or having a bride, is that she would be an Israelite virgin, right? Well, Zechariah took it another step further and married an uh, Israelite virgin that was of a priestly lineage, father being Aaron, right? Um, so there was, this, there was this standard, if you will, that was upheld throughout the generation that led to Zechariah and um, his wife, Elizabeth, sorry, my mind's going blank. This standard, right? And to me, the standard that it speaks is this legacy of, of faithfulness. We see it show up in the way that Zachariah and Elizabeth live our lives. Now today, particularly in Miami, um, there is, there is a... a A loud microphone, I guess, or, or, or this, this, this constant mantra of 
leaving a legacy. And usually that legacy is, is wrapped up in financial freedom. Changing the, the disposition of poverty that we grew up in and, 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 and leaving a legacy where my generation, the generation after, and generation to come can live differently. Free of the, the financial burden. Being able to experience the, the, the experiences that I didn't have or my forefathers never had. But as a church, what if the legacy we intended to leave was one of faithfulness unto God? I'm an ambitious individual, so I'm not saying that one of my desires is to leave a legacy of, of financial independence and, and, and greater wealth in my family. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is often what happens and what shows up in my heart is that it's power, it becomes paramount because of the world and the culture that I live in. And I find my, I, it's easy for me to gravitate into that space. But as I read this and, and, I, and I look at the lives of, of, of Zachariah and Elizabeth, and I look at the, the journey and the experiences that they had to go through and still remain faithful, and still remain faithful, you see, what you see is a legacy of faithfulness unto God was paramount to them. Verse 8, it says, Now, while he was serving as the priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So, guys, this is, this, is, this is no small deal, and let me just give some context. You know, if you were a priest during that time, number one, there's 24 division, divisions of priests, right? Um, Zechariah being of the eighth division coming from the lineage of Abijah, right? So there's, it's, on, it's done in a rotational basis. So at this point, it's the eighth division's time or an opportunity to be able to have a priest go into the temple and burn incense. But this only happens twice a year. So in order for them to determine which priest is able to actually enter into the temple of the Lord and, and, and burn incense in this sacred and holy place, they have to cast lots because of the number of priests within each division. So it just so happens that Zechariah is chosen to enter into the, the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This is, this is a huge honor and, and a, a highlight of a priestly career, if you will. Absolutely, it's a highlight. So I can only imagine days up prior to this and finding out that he's able to enter, there's these feelings and emotions of anticipation and coming closer and closer that those feelings of anticipation maybe turn to a greater sense of reverence and, 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 and fear. Making sure that last Monday, the, the, my shortcoming, I've, I've, I've repented for. I've pre prepared the proper acts, the, you know, um, burnt offering, you know, and I'm going into this temple cleansed and clean, right? The day that he enters, he's entering with, with reverence and just hoping that things are right between him and God. And now he's standing before the place of, of offering where he can see the altar, right? He can see the acacia wood encased with pure gold. He sees the four horns of acacia wood encased in pure gold. He can see the, the poles that were made of pure acacia wood encased in gold. 
in between the golden rings, the things that we read of in Exodus chapter 30, verse 1 through 6. It's real. Let's see what happens next. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, every single emotion that Zechariah had at that moment was all condensed to one, and that was absolute fear. Now, from this, I draw really one conclusion. Oh, man, I messed up. There is something wrong with me. There is a, a sin that I did not repent for or, 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 you know, burn an offering for, and this is it. I'm about to be struck down. But yet the immediate response from the angel is I have a gift for you from the Lord. A point that I drew from this, the assumption that God is approaching us with judgment and instead it's assurance and favor. There's a great comfort to be experienced by God's faithfulness or by God's faithful, I should say, when we realize he sees us in a brighter light than we see ourselves. I don't know about you guys, man, but this is so, this is so real for me. This is so real for me. I'm so critical on myself. Because of the ways in which I've been raised, the, 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 the perceptions of the God that I serve has been tainted in so many ways by other people. And even though I've been awakened to the truth of the gospel, I still struggle with the way God sees me. I'm still more critical on myself than I should. I still judge myself in ways that I should. But those moments where God meets us where we are and the impression that is given to us through the unction of the Holy Spirit is that, man, I am pleased with you. It gives us the courage to continue with peace in our hearts. And I feel like this is a beautiful example of that. Psalm 147.11 says, But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. It doesn't say God takes pleasure in those that go without sin. Can't. But those who fear him, those who strive for righteousness, those who strive for an authentic relationship with God, God looks upon you and says, I am pleased. Verse 14, it says, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine nor strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Man, out of God's grace, not only is John receiving a son, right, but he's receiving a son that will move in the power of Elijah, and I'm going to touch on that in scripture really quick, but a son that, that will actually usher in the coming of the Messiah. 
that he will be the next major prophet to usher in the coming of the Messiah. God blows the top off of Zechariah and Elizabeth's expectations or prayers. The ways in which we become the details that make up the overall canvas, the canvas of God's salvation. We become the details that make up the overall canvas. What an honor for those that are faithful. Let's look at how we see some of God's promises just being fulfilled. We go back to Malachi 3.1 in the ESV version. It says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. We are seeing this come to fruition as we read through Luke. Malachi 4, 5 through 6, behold, I will send you, I will send you Elisha, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the, 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 of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. John is that man. John is that one that is going to begin to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah, the one that is going to begin to turn, you know, families around, bring reconciliation within the families and turn those that their hearts have wandered away from God back to the one true God. Let's continue to read verse 18. See how he responds here. And it says, And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For, for I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, what I found interesting in, in, this, in Zachariah's response is that usually when we are earnestly and actively praying for God to meet a need in our hearts, it's because we believe that God can do it. That's why we actively and earnestly pray. But the way that Zechariah responds is as if he was not actively and earnestly praying for a child. He was completely caught off guard because I know for me, like if I was praying for something and the next day that thing appears, I'm going to be like, oh, oh my God, God, you're amazing. You're so good. Thank you. You heard my prayer. This was not the response. This was like, wait, no, no, no. You're going to have to give me a sign to let me know that this is actually you, supernatural angel from God. And here's a point that I, I drew out. I have three questions that I, I don't know if we can put them up there, but there's, a, there's a, the first point um, that I drew from this is that our desires are at the forefront of God's mind even long after we've buried them. I've seen this in my life. Things that I've, I mean, I've cried out with all my heart. Things that I saw broken in my life. God, please, 
meet this need. Please, I'm desperate. Remove this reproach from my life. First question, are we allowing the silence of the past to deafen us or to deafen the present voice? Are we allowing the silence of the past to deafen the present voice of today? The times in which we cried out to God and we heard nothing or the prayer wasn't answered in that scope based on the expectations. But then God is actively moving in your life today and we don't even hear it. We don't even see it. We don't even realize it. That's exactly what's happening to Zachariah right now. He's, he's being told that your son is about to shape the nation. He's the next major prophet that ushers in the Messiah and he don't even see it. He's so bent up on the fact that, wait, there's no way. There's no way. Because of my age, my, my wife's age, there's no way. I stopped praying for that decades ago. And we don't see it. We need to search our hearts, search ourselves, bring remembrance to some of those prayers that we've had, and look at the way that God has either fulfilled them or is in the process of fulfilling them. Second question, when we pray and believe, is it with pre-existing conditions bound by time and human capability? Or is God a loving and able God? End of story. End of story. What are the catalysts that shape our prayer life? What if our prayers were simply shaped by the fact that God loves you and he's able? Would your faithful life be more, would you be more faithful in your, in your prayer life? Or would you be quick to set boundaries? Let's continue to read. It says, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. Excuse me. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. God is faithful, and God fulfills his promises, and God goes a step beyond with those that are faithful to him. And any reproach that resists the naysayers, the doubters, the things that point at you and laugh, the social constructs that say you're not where you should be during this season of your life, the failures that you hold over your head because maybe I didn't spend enough intentional time with my children back in the day and I'm seeing the consequences of that now, be faithful 
your response is to be faithful to God and know that God sees the depths of your heart, the prayers that no longer exist in your mind, but they're at the forefront of his. God is a God that fulfills his promises and he is faithful. And may, they, may that shape everything. Romans 3, 1 through 4, it says, Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does the faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. In God's love for us, he inserts our desires, our needs and our desires as the fine details that make up the broader picture. And I just want to leave us with this. May God's undeniable faithfulness be our confidence to remain faithful to his instructions. And may we be graced as the catalyst he uses to change our city. Amen.